walk through James chapter 1 in just a moment. We are delighted to have each of you with us. We've got some folks who haven't been here in a while. We've got some guests, and we are very, very glad you could be with us. We believe around here that Sunday is the best day of the week. I believe that with all my heart, and we hope that this is your best day because you get to honor the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who sent his son to die for you so that you could spend forever with him. And that's what God wants us to do. Beautiful day we have outside. As I drove in today, we had a pink sunrise coming up, and it was just going to be a glorious day. But rain, snow, sleet, it doesn't matter what's outside. What matters is inside. Our hearts and our love for Jesus, and we're glad for that. You know, in life, there are some concepts, there's some principles that are sometimes hard to define. They're hard to illustrate. But on the other hand, there are things in life that are quite simple. If I gave you a blank piece of paper and said, draw me a happy person, you may take your crayon out and draw something like that. That's a happy person. If I said, now, I want you to draw me love, a lot of us would go right there. Draw love. Now, I could draw a little circle there, put a little stick down there, and say, well, that looks like a balloon, maybe a cake pop. Put a couple legs on this guy, give him some arms, and you say, well, that's a person. I put that on him and put an S on his chest, that's Superman. And no one thinks, well, that could be Batman, that could be Iron Man. No, we know that's Superman. If I was to say, what does a doctor look like? And you may not be very good at art. I'm terrible. I can't draw a straight line on a piece of paper. But you might draw something that looks like that. You might say, okay, we're in the basketball season. What's basketball look like? And you may draw something like that. Now, if I was to ask you, what does faith look like? How would you draw faith? You might draw a cross on a piece of paper. You might draw a picture of a, a church building. Somebody's walking inside. You might draw a picture of somebody with a Bible in their hand. What does faith look like? And when we go to the book of James, chapter 1, James gives us five pictures of what faith looks like. And this morning, that's what we want to see. We want to see how faith is illustrated in the book of James. And by doing that, we're looking at ourselves. Do I have that kind of faith? Do I manifest this kind of faith? And that's what God wants me to have. Appreciate so many of the songs Isaiah led us in as they talked about and we sang about faith. Faith is the most important thing to God. We see in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith is impossible to please him. If you don't please God, you are not going to be pleased. He's not pleased with you if you haven't pleased him. And then in the book of John, Jesus would say, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. Faith is the foundation of all that we have. The Bible also reminds us of the power of faith. Jesus would say in Matthew 17, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, and you would say to this mountain, move here or move there, that mountain would move because of the power behind faith. And we know what the Bible teaches, that the source of faith is the Word of God. A lot of people say, I believe in Jesus, but it's a Jesus they made up. It's a Jesus in their imagination. True biblical faith comes from reading the Bible. That's why we emphasize the Bible here. That's why we teach the Bible here, to build our faith as God wants us to. It is believed that the book of James was the first New Testament book written. 
as we think about when they were written. It is a very practical book. A lot of people call the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament. And there are really two running themes throughout the New Testament. One of the themes is, how do we walk to God? I'm outside of God, how do I get my way home? I am the prodigal, how do I come to God? But the other theme found throughout the New Testament is how to walk with God. And that's what the book of James is all about. Let's begin now. Five pictures of what faith ought to look like. Picture number one. Faith is someone who cannot be moved by the troubles or trials of life. He's going to be steadfast, we could say. Let's read it now. James chapter 1. Let's read verses 2, 3, and 4, and then jump to verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, he says, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Then down verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What James is describing for us, the picture he's drawing for us, is here's a man who follows God. He follows God in the sunshine. He follows God in the storm. He follows God when it's easy. He follows God when it's hard. Here's a man who stays with that. Trials, troubles, tribulation. He sees that God is still on the throne, and he's going to do that. He's pressing onward with God. There are days in which things do not make sense to us, and we all know that. You have a busy day. You got a lot of things to do. You run out to get going, the first thing is the car won't start. Why today, of all days, i got a lot to do. You go back in the house, and there's the dog throwing up all over everything. Why is this happening to me? There are things that just doesn't make sense in our life. There are times when everything and even everyone seems to be against you. Why is this happening this way? The man of faith, as James is drawing us, isn't going to waver. He's not going to back off. He's going to stay steadfast with this. And there are people who want to see you fail. And so when you look at verse 12, once again, which we read, blessed is the man who perseveres. He's steadfast. He, he's not just looking at this passively, but he's actively engaged. Courageous faith. Getting the news that the tumor is growing and not getting smaller. Here's a person whose faith is still strong. When the boss is unkind, the child has broken your heart, the mate has disappointed, the brethren haven't been fair, but you think, you speak, and you do what is right because you are a person of faith. As Jesus would say multiple times to amazing people, oh, how great is your faith. Take a jump real quickly to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be right back here in James 1 in just a minute. But in Hebrews 11... As we scan through this great example of people of old, again, I want you to know this idea of this faith, this perseverance, this love that they had for the Lord. In verse 4, we read about Abel, a sacrifice that cost him. What did Cain offer? He offered vegetables. He went out to the garden, picked off a tomato, put it on the thing. Here it is, God. What did Abel do? He killed a lamb that cost him. Once you kill that lamb, that lamb's not coming back. That lamb is no longer alive. That lamb is no longer useful. He made a sacrifice that cost him. And then we read about Noah. 
And what we see with Noah is that he lived in a world that scorned him. The world was not appreciative of who he was. A preacher of righteousness. And then we read about Abraham. And in verse 8 and verse 9, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place where he was to receive the inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Where are you heading to? I don't know. God's ahead of me. I'm following God. And then to Abraham's wife, when God told her at an old age she would have a child, a promise that seemed impossible. And all of these examples in Hebrews 11 illustrate for us a faith that will not stop, a faith that endures to the very end. And so we look at verse 13 of Hebrews 11. It says, all these died in faith without receiving the promise. But having seen them, they welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed because they're God, for he has prepared a city for them. And what's the common theme in Hebrews 11? By faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith. And so when we talk about what does faith look like, faith looks like a person who may be going through hard times, difficult circumstances, but he's hanging on with God. He doesn't walk away from God. He doesn't point his finger upward and blame God. He doesn't say, well, if there was a God, why isn't my life better? He understands those concepts. Number two, what does faith look like? Again, back to the book of James, chapter 1. Faith is someone who is centrally focused on Christ. Someone who's centrally focused on Christ. Let's begin verse 5 now. James 1, verse 5. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 8, that double-minded man. Be like going to a circus sideshow, and you see somebody who has two heads, but one body. And this head says, let's go this way, and this head says, let's go that way. And the head cannot decide which way it's going. That's how he's describing that. And so what James has shown us a picture of, here's a man who's single-minded. He's focused upon God. He sees as God sees. You notice during these basketball games that's going on, you get somebody who's shooting a free throw, and back in the stands there is the other team's fans, and they're doing all this stuff like this, they're holding up sides and doing all this guy, and the guy just dribbles the ball, he looks at the basket. He doesn't look at the fans because they, oh man, well, you know, he would lose, he's focused, and he shoots that basket. That's the man of faith. The world's doing this to you, look at this, look at me, you need to have this. And the man of faith is focused on Jesus, and he sees that. Now, notice how he describes this double-minded man. Because he's talking here about a man who prays. 
He prays believing. He prays assuredly. He prays knowing it's going to take place. Prayer is his routine of his life. He prays often. He prays deeply. He prays personally. But in verse 6, here's a man who bounces around, he says. He's like the sea. Been, been on the cruise boat before on rough water? Up you go and down you go. Up you go and down you go. And you start looking for that little throw-up bag because up and down you go. That's not the man of faith. He's not up and he's not down. He's steady. He also says in verse 7, the one who doubts is like talking to the air. He's not going to receive what he prays for. I have prayed to God and nothing happens. Maybe you're not a person of faith. I prayed for rain, but I kept my umbrella at home. Well, you didn't believe, did you? If you're praying for rain, you're going to get your umbrella because you prayed for something and you believe. And then he says in verse 8 that the one whose doubts is unsure. He is a double-minded man. What does faith look like? It looks like somebody who's focused on Jesus. Number three, in James chapter 1, faith is someone who is controlled by Christ in a crisis. Let's read verse 19 verse 20, if you will. James 1, verse 19, verse 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let each one of you be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now here's some problem he brings up. He brings up anger. Something's happened. It could be just the way people are driving around you. It could be a situation at work. It could be a situation at home. But you become angry. And things are not going well as you think they should be. There's been some wrongs done. And there's some things that's just not right. And so here's the man of faith. And he's controlled by Christ. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm not going to say something later I'm going to regret. I'm going to be slow to speak. Slow to anger. I am controlled by Jesus. Verse 20 of this chapter says, Anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. Anger doesn't take you where you want to go. You're not going to feel good after having anger if you're a person of God. You're going to realize, I regret saying those words. I regret doing those things. If you keep your finger here and go with me over to the book of Ephesians, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, just another reminder that the New Testament gives us about this. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 and verse 27. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry, he says, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Three do nots. When you're angry, don't sin. Don't sin with your mouth. Don't sin with your mind. Don't sin with your body. Secondly, do not let the sun go down your anger. Don't let that stew like mama's soup. Because the more you let it stew in your mind, the more it simmers, the angrier you get. The more people you got to talk about, and you can't move past this. And then the third thing he says is, do not give the devil an opportunity. When you're angry, you mail something to the devil. Please come to my house right now because I am upset. And the devil always keeps that invitation. He knocks on your door and says, oh, you're mad? I can get you even madder. You're upset? I can get you more upset. And what you do is you find yourself where you don't want to be. What does a man of faith do? He's controlled. He's controlled by Jesus. Second Peter chapter 1, as Peter lists the virtues, he's added self-control to his life. 
Again, that concept. Number four, what does a man of faith look like? Faith is someone who has made a complete separation from the filth of the world. Verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, he says, receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul. There are things out there that are wrong. There are things out there that's going to take your mind to places your mind shouldn't go. There are things out there that's going to introduce you to things you should not be introduced to. And James is describing this. And so faith, the man of faith recognizes that. The man of faith makes that separation from the things of the world that are wrong. Got your Bible? Turn with me to James 4, verse 4. James 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, he says. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world cannot or makes himself the enemy of God. Now, why do you think he begins this expression by saying, you adulteresses? That's a term we use to talk about sexual sin. Adultery always involves at least one person who's married. Fornication can involve any kind of sexual sin. Adultery is limited. One person is married. And you're not married to who you're doing it with. And what Jesus is saying here through James is that you of faith are married to Jesus. When you got baptized in Jesus Christ, you said, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my God. I follow you. But what happens is when you start flirting with the devil and you start walking over here with Satan, pretty soon you've left Jesus I'm supposed to be with the Lord. I'm supposed to be married to Jesus. But I'm over here dancing with the world. And what James is telling us is the man of faith, the woman of faith, they recognize that. And they make that distinction. Now, the book of Colossians, if you will. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 2. Colossians chapter 3 begins verse 2. Colossians 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. There's, again, that separation. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to idolatry. It's on account of these things the wrath of God will come. And in them you once walked, and you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Oh, I used to do that. But I'm a man of faith now. Oh, I used to do that, but I'm a person of righteousness now. I have made the distinction. Over in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, at the very end, we read about Peter's denial of Jesus. Peter, first of all, said, I will, I will die with you. And the Lord says, Peter, before this night's over, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And first it was a servant girl, and she said, he's one of them, and he denied it. Then another servant girl, he's one of them, and he denied it. Then comes our passage here, a bystander. And the bystander comes to Jesus and says, you are one of them. The way you talk gives you away. 
The Bible says Peter cursed, he swore, and then he says, I do not know him. But I want you to look at that phrase, what the bystander said. You are one of them. Your talk gives you away. And I'm proud to say I am one of them. I am one of the followers of Jesus. I am one of his disciples. And somebody says, you know, I can tell that in you because the way you talk. I can tell that because of your attitude. I can tell that because of the choice of words you use. I can tell that by the way you dress. I can tell that by the choices you make in life. I can tell you are one of them because it gives obvious in your life. That's a man of faith. Now, how about you? You go up and tell somebody you're a Christian and say, really? I'm sh- I would have never thought that about you. I'm glad you're a Christian, but that surprises me. Not here. Your talk gives you away. You are one of them. And then number five, back to, first, back to James 1. Faith is someone who's changed his life by the word of God. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror and once he's looked at himself and has gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he abides by it, having not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If any man thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless." This is pure and undefiled religion, the sight of our God and Father, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What is an image of a man of God? What is the picture of faith? It is someone who's changed his life by the word of God. Multiple times he'll use this expression, he is a doer. He's a doer. Now, you have a little child and you want to teach your child how to ride a bicycle. So you print off some things off the internet and says, here, read this. Go ride your bike. No, we don't do that. You have someone that's 15 years old, going to get ready to start driving the car. You get this manual, say, here, read this. Now go drive. You want to learn how to swim? Well, here's a book on swimming. I want to learn how to play golf, so I just watch TV. I, I sit in a church building and I listen to the sermon preach over and over. It's more than just listening. It's what am I doing? Do you see that? You've got to take that little child and put him on that bicycle, and you're going to hold the seat, and as he's going to learn to ride, you're going to kind of help them. You've got to take that 15-year-old in that car and drive round and round. Mama's holding on to life, but you've got to do that. You want to play golf? You better get to some golf clubs and go out and start swinging. You see, it's the matter of doing. And if I want to be a person of God, a man of faith, as James says it, is someone who is doing what the Word of God completely says. Now, if you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Notice verse 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Here, as Jesus is answering the question, who is my neighbor? He tells us a story. We know this as the Good Samaritan. And in Luke chapter 10, he tells about this man who is beaten up, robbed, left for dead. Priest comes by, walks on the other side. A, a Levite comes by, walks on the other side. Then comes a Samaritan. 
And the Samaritan puts bandages on this man's wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the next village, pays for his stay at the village, and says, if there's more expense, I will come back and do that. Then Jesus asked in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell to the robber's hands? He said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do. He said, go and preach this. He said, go and memorize this. Go and do this. And what we think about when we think about James' picture of faith is a man and woman of God who are doing what the Bible says. And we need to take it and see that. And so going back, if you will, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Let's pick up where we left off. We stopped in verse 10. Let's just read a little bit more here. Colossians chapter 3. Starting with verse 12. And so to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against any one of you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ ruin your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within. What are we reading about? Here's a man who's changed. Used to be grumpy. Now he's not grumpy. Used to be a tightwad. Now he's not tightwad. He used to be self-centered. Now he's not self-centered. What's happened? He's gotten into the word of God, and the word of God has changed him. Now before we end this, we talk about doing. Is there a sin in your life that you need to confess? Is there a promise that you need to claim? Is there an attitude I need to work on? Is there a command I'm just not obeying? Is there an example I need to follow? Is there a prayer that I need to pray? Is there a truth I need to affirm? Is there thanks that I need to offer to my God? When you go back to James chapter 1, again, I want you to notice one expression he uses here as he describes this. He talks about a man looking in the mirror, and then as he walks away, he forgets what he sees. But look at verse 25. But one who looks intently. You ever notice when somebody has dropped a contact on the floor, they say, stop. Nobody walk. Got a contact on the floor. And what we all do, we all just, we look real close. We sometimes put our hand on the floor to feel because there's a contact there and we've got to be careful. We are looking intently. That's how he's doing this. It's not a quick reading. I said, I read five verses today. Let's go on. I am looking closely at this. Now, as we wrap this up, go to James chapter 2. Because we've got to ask a question. How is your faith different than the faith of a demon? James chapter 2 says this in verse 19 and 20. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And to illustrate this, go with me to Mark chapter 5, where we read about one of the great encounters with the demon. Mark chapter 5. And starting with verse 2, as Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee, 
It says, and when he came out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had been dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often broken the bond with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him. And the shackles were broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gnashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. You recognize that this man knew Jesus' name. He understood who Jesus was. We understand here that this man uh, knew what Jesus could do. And notice what he did. He ran to Jesus. Now, what we're asking ourselves is, how is my faith any different than the demon? The demons believe. Well, I'm a believer. Am I running to Jesus? He bows down. He confesses who Jesus is. And he recognizes the authority of Jesus. And yet in all that, he remained unchained. In all that, he remained a demon. And so when we talk about what does faith look like? Faith looks like that senior citizen who comes in with a cane or a walker, struggling. And when a song leader says, let's stand, they groan because every bone hurts, but they'll stand. When the song leader says sit, they groan because it hurts to sit. When the song leader says stand again, they groan, but they stand. Time after time, they come because they believe in Jesus. What's faith look like? It looks like that family that shows up after they have had a funeral. Someone very dear in their family has died. But here they are. They're not blaming God. They're not angry with God. They understand what the scriptures teach. What's faith look like? Faith looks like the person who keeps going on, even though life seems to slap him in the face, and they have a hard time seeing these things. And so when we think about what James is showing us, showing us a picture of faith. Now, let me ask you some questions. We're going to be done here in about five minutes. It's too early to get to eat lunch. It's too late for breakfast. Do I have a faith and a love for the Word of God that I'm going to stay for a Bible class? But Seth, I don't need to stay for a Bible class. I don't need to stay. Well, if you're that way, please teach, and I'll sit, because I need Bible class. How about you? Tonight, we're going to have services again. Oh, Brother Seth, I already did it this morning. Yeah, you did. What would a man of faith do? What would the Lord do? As you look about this room, there may be somebody in here that you haven't talked to in a long time, and you won't talk to them because you don't like them. What would a man of faith do? What would Jesus have you to do? What if somebody put something on, on Facebook, and I didn't like what they said, so I am done with that person. What would a man of faith do? What would Jesus do? You see, when we think about this lesson, it's not about just walking through the book of James. It's about a picture what does this picture look like? And do I look like that picture? Do I look like I have faith? And when somebody says, 
The demons also believed in Jesus. How is your faith any different than a demon? Has your faith changed you? Has it made you closer like Jesus? Has it made you walk with Jesus? That's what we need to see and appreciate. And so when we wrap this up, you are presenting a picture of faith to those around you. People where you work, your family, other people, they see you. And they see that's faith. Now, your image may not be a good image. And they may see that. And they may make an impression of this church because of the picture you're drawing. But you are drawing a picture of faith. And I'd have you also understand, when somebody says, you know, if you, Larry, were to draw me a, a picture of faith, would Larry draw one of your faces and say, that's what I see when I see faith? The picture of faith. And what we have is we have a world today that's going to be a long time before they open a book like this. But they're looking at you. And they're looking at how you conduct yourself. And how you deal with stress. And how you deal with trials. And how you deal with family. And how you deal with COVID. And how you deal with this and this and this and this. And the world is looking at you. And they say, you know what? I see no difference between you and me. You're bothered and you complain and you're stressed and you're stretched out. That's my life and I don't have Jesus. Why do I need to add Jesus? Because there is no difference between me and you. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15, they look at you and they see something I don't have. You got a calm about you. You got a peace about you. You got a certainty about you. You're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of tomorrow. You're not afraid of this or that. And what it is is what do you have that I don't have? That's Jesus. That's what they want you to see. And so when we think about the image of faith, the picture of faith, this is not an academic lesson. It's real interesting to see from James. What this is is this is what you're going to show when you go to the restaurant this afternoon. What are you going to do when the food is wrong? I did not order this. Doggone, they're going to get tipped for me. Is that the picture of faith? Oh, by the way, will you want to come to church with me? Are you serious? I've talked to people in the restaurant industry. They hate Sunday morning crowds because they're the stingiest people they know. Why are we that way if it's us? And so you go to work tomorrow, and you're just kind of working through stuff, and your boss just gives you this kind of high paper and says, I want this done by 5 o'clock. And you're thinking, you are nuts. Ain't happening. How do you handle that? Picture of faith. Your neighbor backs out and knocks over the trash can. There's trash all over everything and drives off. Put a for sale sign in your yard. Go put the trash in his yard. What's a picture of faith? See what I'm saying? Every day we face things like this. And every day the world looks at you and they say, oh, you're a believer. I wouldn't have known that. Now, in a Sunday church building, we got our dresses and our ties on. We're looking good. Oh, you look like a Christian. But how are you looking on the Monday when you're stressed? How are you looking on Friday night? You see, the picture of faith. And that's what we want you to see. This morning... If you're one who are visiting with us, you're one of our guests, we hope you see faith here. 
Faith is not because we have got it together, but because God has it together. Our hope is in God. And as we go about our time this afternoon and tomorrow and other days, may we keep before us, I'm drawing a picture. This is what faith looks like. I want you to see this picture. And may we be such a person that when people think of faith, that person came to my mind. I'm going to draw that person because they are faithful to God. That's what this is all about. The most important thing to Jesus is your faith. And so if we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand, as we sing. Redeem, thou the love to proclaim it. Redeem by the blood of the Lamb.